All right, we'll round it out the final half hour of our broadcast. It's a Freedom Friday on the Big Talker FM. we got a live studio audience inside the James Room. It's the Marriott Bonvoy in Morgantown, West Virginia. Our Coastal Carolina baseball team getting set for a th- big three-game series against the Mountaineers of West Virginia later on tonight. We'll jump on the call 6.30. It'll be a 6.10 airtime from... Well, Morgantown, uh, you could, on any given day, you can hear me from Merle's Inlet, South Carolina, to Hampstead, North Carolina, depending on what radio station you're tuned into, whether it be the Big Talker, 106.7 FM in Wilmington, or down on Hot Talk, 99.5 WRNN in Sockesty, Myrtle Beach. And that's where we'll be broadcasting the ball game from later on this evening, 610 airtime, 630 first pitch, Coastal and uh, West Virginia. And w- the way technology works today, I'm often a critic of uh, platforms like uh, Facebook, Twitter, Snapchat, and the like. Uh, but uh, on days like today, I appreciate that we're living in the year 2021 as we broadcast uh, back to the Carolina coast uh, from Morgantown. Our next guest joins us from Vienna, Austria, and his name is Yael Lasowski of the Consumer Choice Center. Yael, my friend, I hope all is well on, in your neck of the woods on the other side of planet Earth. Yeah, we're doing good here, Joe, and uh, way to go for the boys. You guys keep it up, and uh, best of luck there for the for the baseball game coming up. Well, it's amazing what we have to go through in order to get here. It's a COVID test on Wednesday, so long as we're all clear, we then hit a bus. We travel up yonder eight hours and 30 minutes on the country roads of West Virginia over the uh, Great Gorge or whatever the hell it's called uh, uh, in West Virginia. Drove over a bridge with uh, some th- some water beneath it, and uh, it was a sight to see. Went through some uh, nasty weather last night, but ready to rock and roll. It's uh, a balmy 35 degrees outside this morning. Hope everyone brought the winter gear. Yeah, that's exactly what I'm feeling, by the way, Joe. I'm looking out my window. We're now almost the end of March. I still got snowflakes falling in the great city. So not ideal conditions, but good to know that the travel's going well, that American sports are up and running, that competition is alive and well. Uh, really makes feel good about everything coming up. So it's going to be an amazing spring and even better summer. Well, from what the information we gathered today was uh, here at the ballpark uh, where we're getting ready to play, uh, all, whatever tickets are allocated to the game tonight, they're sold out. So that's a, a good thing to know and that we'll be playing in front of some live humans later on this evening just after 6.30 Eastern Standard Time. So, Yael, give us a little insight into what the hell's going on over in Europe as it relates to the vaccination process. Uh, The EU leaders uh, flip-flopping a bit on the AstraZeneca vaccine after some folks turned up with blood clots and uh, and other side effects. Give us the insight as far as what life is like over in the EU. So we have the AstraZeneca vaccine. It's a, a British, Swedish company and they partnered with the University of Oxford to put this vaccine together. It was first approved in the United Kingdom uh, back in December, so they're the ones who have now had a very stellar vaccination record. Uh, They're actually on chart and on path right now to completely end uh, most of their lockdowns, hopefully by uh, mid-spring. So it's looking good there. And for this vaccine, the AstraZeneca Uh, Essentially, this is now being rolled out across the European Union. It's been accepted also in Canada, not yet in the United States, though the U.S. does have a fairly large supply in a warehouse in Ohio just sitting there. But what we had in the last couple of weeks is there were um, 
I think it was around 15 people uh, who ended up with some kind of blood clots sometime after having gotten the vaccine. There was no uh, direct evidence that it was because of the vaccination. And in fact, when we look at the numbers, there's actually the incidence of people having blood clots are much higher, you know, in just normal medical situations versus this vaccination situation. So it's kind of a fidgeting of the numbers. And uh, the numbers are something that Europeans don't like very much. So you had people who came out in Denmark and Germany and France and Spain, some of the huge countries over here in Europe, and they basically said, hey, we're not giving out this vaccine anymore. And uh, we're, we believe it's not safe. And uh, because of that, we are invoking what is called the precautionary principle. And the precautionary principle means if there's any kind of risk that is involved with anything, it's better to be safe than sorry. So they removed AstraZeneca vaccine from all these different areas, meaning that hundreds of thousands of people will no longer get this vaccine. And this comes along at the same time that around the world, at least 200 million people have already received this vaccine. And we don't even have any of these side effect cases that they're discussing about blood clots. So the EU and these countries overplayed their hand. Uh, the EU authorities have come out and said, this is totally safe. There's no reason to do this. Um, here in Austria, where I am, our uh, chancellor, you know, he's a he's a young dude, Joe. He's actually younger than you. This guy's about 33. And uh, he came out and said, not only will I do the take the AstraZeneca, but I'll do it on live TV, bearing my guns and everything. And that's it's a very different approach. It's really crazy to see. I think we talked about it almost uh, three weeks ago, Joe, that Part of the German government, a lot of the Germans were already murmuring about how older people should not take this vaccine. And that's the kind of stuff that really makes people less likely to take vaccines overall. And that's very problematic because it means we're going to have a pandemic and we're going to have a lockdown fever forever. So unfortunately, this is carrying on. Luckily, we have not faced this in the United States. We have plentiful supply. Things are rolling out. We can get back to normal. We can get back to sports. We can get back to family and freedom. And that's what it's about. Well, with that said, Yael, as uh, the Consumer Choice Radio program airs every Saturday morning at the Big Talker FM just after 10 o'clock, Yael, his uh, tag team partner, David Clement, join us to talk uh, all issues related to consumer choice around the globe. You can find out more about what they do and why they do it at ConsumerChoiceCenter.org. Yael, as we turn to some of the issues going on in the states related to uh, COVID and uh, the reopening of certain areas, depending on where you live, Florida Governor Ron DeSantis has an op-ed that was posted in the Wall Street Journal this week on how he believes the elites have been getting it wrong throughout the course of the past year. Explain some of the info in that article that was penned by the governor of Florida. Yeah, and this is the ongoing debate uh, sort of that's happening throughout the United States, and really that exists with media. And I think that's why I'm very thankful for talk radio. I think a lot of the listeners who are tuned in on the app or listening there on their on the radios at home, they're also very thankful because they do not necessarily have to be monopolized by much of the hand-wringing and throat-clearing that takes place in the elite media centers. And that's exactly what's happened in the case of Florida. I can't tell you how many pieces I saw on television or read about in the major newspapers about how Florida has essentially a pro-death policy, um, all kinds of claims about Governor Ron DeSantis being a, a total anti-science figure. And now we're getting the numbers, you know, almost a year into this mess and seeing that Florida, 
you know, by not imposing harsh lockdowns, by targeting the nursing homes early on and hoping to protect them from getting the virus, he actually did exactly what you were supposed to do. And, you know, he was denigrated. He was called all kinds of things, all kinds of terrible, baseless claims laid at his feet. And essentially, he's coming out looking shiny while uh, the New York governor, uh, your buddy Andrew Cuomo, is not looking too hot. He's got his own issues to deal with and essentially has one of the worst death records in the United States when it comes to this virus. I think the the DeSantis, you know, uh, op-ed here that came out in the Wall Street Journal is just perfect because it does talk about the elite messaging. There's a lot of stuff that's very difficult to understand when you're talking about public health. It's a very, very hard field. You're talking about how to communicate to the public what they need to do. And when they went into elitism, you know, when they just assumed everyone could stay home and do their job, that was an issue. It was a problem, and they did not communicate that very well. And that's why I think the that plus the, the models, if we remember early on, Joe, I know we were discussing what was happening with China. The entire reason the Chinese Communist Party right now is, should be in our crosshairs is they said the mortality of this virus was anywhere between 5 to 8%. And that scared the bejesus out of everybody in the world, because if that was true, that means that hundreds of millions of people were about to die. Well, in the end, what we're seeing in the United States and many other countries is a much, much lower mortality rate. But it does mean that our economies have been wrecked. It does mean that lockdowns have carried on. Florida bucked that trend. I think DeSantis should be praised for that. But it's that exact tape of elite uh, messaging, a sort of elitist mindset that was carried out in the beginning part of this pandemic and is continuing on in, in most of the Northeast, let's be honest, and also in California. And that's very unfortunate for those citizens, but really, really grateful that we have a figure in the U.S. like Ron DeSantis who uh, was able to buck that. Yeah, yeah. When we talk about the divide and the public perception of where we are, you know, a year into this, uh, depending on where you are in our country, here in the States, it will depend greatly on the freedoms that you have to operate in more of a normal manner or remain in some type of you know, restriction type and way of life. And there is so much to divide as far as where we are and where we're headed. Can you give us a little perspective, given that the vaccinations have been slower to get into the arms of Europeans, you know, the sentiment, uh, uh, I guess, just overall from uh, those across the pond and uh, the way they see this whole thing shaking out? Yeah, I think it's it's been a, a similar thing in that there has been a, a just catastrophic failure on the part of elites and political leaders. And it's something that those of us who are very critical, Joe, you and I, uh, that does not surprise us that political leaders let us down. <laughs> that ain't, my, ain't the first time I've ever heard that. But I think there's generally a sentiment and skepticism that these people know what they're doing. Uh, we know that vaccines have arrived. We know that there is a way out. And yet, uh, sort of the rhetoric continues. So at least in the United Kingdom, you know, as I mentioned before, they are sitting pretty. They're looking very good. They have high numbers of their population that is vaccinated. They'll uh, actually be able to achieve herd immunity very soon. So for them, they're looking good. In Europe, it's not looking good at all. On the continent, in Germany and in France and in Italy, uh, there's a lot of skepticism now about what's happening with these vaccines. There's really not any clear messaging on behalf of what it's happening. And the main issue in Europe, for a lot of your listeners to know, is that they actually bought all of the vaccines centrally. So they did this for 500 million people. They assumed that a bureaucracy in the city of Brussels in Belgium 
could actually get all of the vaccines for 500 million people and figure out a way to dole them out. And, you know, that sounds nightmarish, but, you know, just imagine if Gavin Newsom over there in California, you know, purchased everything centrally in Sacramento and then sent it out according to, you know, where you are on the oppression scale. That's where we kind of are. And I, I know there's a lot of people who are um, pretty much upset with how it's rolled out in Europe, but people are also just getting getting ready to go out for the holidays. You know, it's Easter soon. A lot of people are kind of done with this. They've done the social distancing. They've done their masks. They'll do that in their own way responsibly, but they're still going to go out and travel. They're going to go out and see their friends and family. You know, we've gotten the scientific answer and the technological answer from the free market. That is vaccines. We don't need necessarily to continue to succumb to this if we're in a better position. And I think that's a general feeling amongst many people in Europe and the people in the U.S. have been very advanced on this. And as you've mentioned on this program all week long and uh, last week as well, people are going to be doing, uh, you know, these barbecues, not just on July 4th, but I'm pretty sure they'll be doing them this weekend, too. Hey, yeah, yeah, let me ask you, you know, uh, last week uh, we mentioned uh, the situation going on at the southern border and the fact that you've been trying to get back to the states for a couple of months but have been unable to do so because of uh, you know the coronavirus restrictions and you having to jump through a lot of hoops in order to get here and then get back home you know we just got news yesterday that the department of homeland security announced that the borders between canada and mexico will remain closed to non-essential travel until april 21st uh, yet the the surge continues uh, at our southern border uh, share some thoughts on, on the fact that you cannot get here and back, uh, but uh, we've got uh, many who are uh, coming here without any type of uh, regard for the laws and the restrictions that have been in place. Yeah, it's definitely been a problem. And, and I, I mentioned last week, you know, I'm one of the most pro-immigration people you've ever met. I'm a naturalized citizen of the United States. My family immigrated. We went through the process. I understand it's hard. It's difficult. It's expensive. And because we have that process, it exists for a reason. And what we saw, particularly in the last couple of weeks at the border, is basically a total failure in policy from the Biden administration. And they've provided no clarity, and they've essentially allowed this entire crisis to unfold. And it is now having to be covered in much of the establishment media because it has gotten to this crisis level. And a lot of it has to do with the messaging. A lot of it has to do with what the uh, Department of Homeland Security and the, and the Customs and Border Authorities are saying. You know, they're saying uh, to the people, hey, uh, you know, don't come now. Our systems are not, you know, up to date right now, but just come later. And that's that's the kind of thing that is only going to increase the number of people who will be willing to cross the border, which is a very dangerous thing, by the way. This is not something that, you know, you just pick up your kids on a Tuesday afternoon from El Salvador and head to the United States and, and all is well. You're dealing with a lot of shady characters. It's a dangerous route. People are willing to do this, and the incentives are all in front of them, and that's very problematic. Really, I, I would hope that the administration would cut, come out on this. We need some kind of clarity. We need to be able to say, hey, this is our policy. This is our process. Let's make it clear so that those who are legal immigrants, who are you know, pretty much most of the time entrepreneurs who bring great wealth to our country, who bring great diversity and strength and are really able, I mean, they're, they're powering half of Silicon Valley at this moment. So we can't say that we don't need any immigration, but definitely we do need some kind of good process so that 
we don't have this crisis of hundreds of thousands of people showing up at the border, assuming they're going to be let in willy nilly. But that's the exactly the overtures that we've heard right now from the Biden administration, the entire, you know, Trump era in that actually did keep a lot of people at bay for better or for worse. But we're now looking at a very different crisis. I think there's, there's going to be a lot more that will come out of this. I know there's, there's a lot of great investigative journalists who are following this right now and really trying to understand the truth. And look, if I can't get on a plane and go back to the United States, uh, but I can you know, somehow find myself in a dinghy boat and cross the border and it'd be easier, um, it's kind of ridiculous. You know, We don't need to have this in the 21st century. You know, This is supposed to be the freest time ever. Um, just because you know we we've got uh, this rise there at the border and we've got the ongoing pandemic, uh, look, there's better ways to deal with this. It's definitely not the way they're doing it now. Well, there's no question our politicians, uh, you know, have been uh, if they are truly working to fix uh, and uh, you know put the American people first, they're not doing any us uh, any favors uh, in uh, working through this uh, broken immigration system that's been uh, basically ever present for the better part of the last uh, 35, 40 years, and uh, the inability for our elites to address uh, obviously a glaring issue as it relates to uh, border security and and immigration reform, and and now this administration can't hide the fact that, that there's something going on at our southern border and it's not good for any party involved in fact a headline in the new york times this morning biden urges mexico to do more to stop migration that's a new york times headline my thought is here if orange man was so bad and that he had uh, you know his way of looking at things so inhumane in how he looked at the situation going along the border you'd figure the AOCs of the world and others uh, would be crying a river and literally down at the southern border running up uh, you know some type of theater to pressure the Biden administration as they according to the New York Times, quietly press Mexico to curb the migrants coming into the U.S. I mean, it's just amazing how an administration can completely change the way in which news is reported to us on a day-to-day basis. And it has everything to do with the actual differences in the policies. And we're talking specifically about asylum seekers and the claims for that. Usually, we grant asylum to people who've been through war and tragedy and chaos Usually they're war refugees. If you imagine in the 1970s and 80s, we had people from Vietnam who were coming because of the ongoing war and crisis, and the Americans opened up the border for those people because of what was happening. We've had uh, throughout the Middle East and the Middle Eastern wars, we've had our borders open to many asylum seekers from these areas, a lot of people who were actually helping many of our troops who were actually working as translators and go-betweens. And we also have had this for Cubans for a long time. We had the dry foot policy, meaning that any Cuban who found himself uh, on the American side in Florida was allowed to stay and claim asylum. It's created this amazing uh, society down there in South Florida. I would really encourage any of your listeners, next time you go down there, go down to Miami and visit any of these Cuban places. Uh, They're just amazing. These are great entrepreneurial people. And they've benefited from that policy because it was clear. And now we have this strange muddle mouth uh, understanding about, you know, can anyone just come to the United States? Can anybody just hop on a boat? Uh, The way that our border works now and the way that our system works now, it's not technically sustainable. And it really is a disadvantage for everyone who does want to migrate legally, who's waiting in line in the process. I mean, I have my own family, Joe, who has lived in North Carolina for almost 20 years um, you know, they're up for, for 
doing their exams, doing their test, trying to become American citizens. They've been paying taxes, living there for, for almost 20 years. And it seems as if the, the people who are just waltzing over the border are having a fairer shake than many of them. And uh, these are people who've lived and breathed in North Carolina for many, many years, who've contributed to the economy tenfold. And uh, you know, this kind of stuff is really at the hands of the politicians. It's at the hands of those who send terrible messages to many people around the world saying that all is fine. You can just come here. No problem. Um, you know, that's not rule of law. It's not order. And it's not a good way to have an immigration system. Illegal immigrants do not benefit from illegal immigration. They have to live in the shadows. They can't technically get legal jobs. You know, they're living in constant fear of the police or the immigration authorities. This helps no one. It certainly doesn't help those who are crossing the border. So we need to have some kind of good reform, some kind of understanding. These are real people. They're trying to make a difference. But our systems and our laws have to change to accommodate that. And it, it's not all just going to happen through rhetoric and, and kind of the woke police. We actually need to have good systematic reform that realizes the actual benefits of legal migration. I'm not sure if we've lost connection with Joe in uh, Morgantown, Virginia, West Virginia. Well, what a man. I know he's doing a lot there, Joe. <laughs> he's he's uh he's definitely got a lot on his plate. But the the immigration stuff is is definitely something that we're going to cover. I know uh, many listeners here to the Big Talker have paid attention to this issue. It's obviously one that people care about and good to know, you know, that we can have good and lively debates particularly on this station. And that's why I really love the Big Talker. Uh, TK, you're an amazing man here being producer on the line, <laughs> doing the best that you can. Yes, sir. Yeah. But another article that I had for Joe, um, I know he's probably listening and trying to chime in. I had one to discuss about, you know, what's happening with the trade policy in the United States. Because uh, once we had, you know, a very robust defense of free trade, we don't necessarily have that now. And we certainly don't have it now with the new Biden administration, who seems to be carrying on many of the policies of the Trump administration when it comes to America first. And they're not calling it that. They're doing their own thing. Uh, but it's essentially all the same. It's more tariffs. It's higher prices for consumers. It's going to be less trade. It's going to be more focus on labor rights and you know unionization. I think that will be very detrimental to a lot of North Carolina workers, a lot of North Carolina entrepreneurs, and definitely to consumers. We are going to see a lot of higher costs uh, when it comes to that. Yael Lasowski with the Consumer Choice Center with us here every Friday morning on the Big Talker FM just after 9.30. Yael, thanks so much for the time today, as always. Thank you so much, Joe. Pleasure. Enjoy yourself there in uh, West Virginia and in the hills and the ball game, and uh, best luck to your boys as uh, they try to defeat those Mountaineers. And no doubt, three-game series begins at 6.30 tonight uh, over uh, on the Grand Strand, just a little south of our broadcast uh, area here this morning as we wrap up our Friday edition of the show after this timeout here on the Big Talker FM.